Hey team, it's Ando here. 2022 is a big year for Australian rugby, and we at Pick and Drive Rugby want to be in the thick of it, but we need your support. We want to attend post-match press conferences to ask your questions. We need more interviews with players and coaches to give you the insights that you want into the game they play in heaven. And we want better recording equipment to create a superior listening experience for you. If you like what we do, and let's be honest, even if you don't, please consider getting involved and sending us a tip. All donations will be put straight back into the podcast. We do this for love, not money, but every little bit counts. So please go to ko-fi.com slash pick and drive rugby. You can give us $1, you can give us 5 whatever is within your budget, we would be incredibly appreciative for. Thank you for your support. Let's get back to the pod. Wade Cooper, for the win, it's on its way, it's on its way, it's gone, Wade Cooper is the man. Hello there and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast, we're diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby, we're real family friendly and positive, so get involved. Get involved. I'm your host Ando, with me is Mitch. How's it going? Bloody good, mate. Very, very good. And we are very excited to be back after a week off. We needed a bit of a break. And we basically just wanted to have some time off to watch the Rugby Sevens men and women playing in the Commonwealth Games in Birmingham. So it was a great opportunity. Before we get going into what we're going to chat about tonight, you can hit us up on any of the regular social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Twitter is probably the most active one for us. And Mitch, we have a tipping competition. We do. So I think I said on our last pod a little bit of a white lie. Um, I mentioned How that <laughs> unknowingly, not intentionally. So that, that makes it a little bit better. But I think I said last time that the competition for the July internationals was carrying through to the internationals for the rest of the year. I was wrong. It, it doesn't. So um, the rugby champs does start again. It is a new competition. So I have started up a tipping comp for pick and drive rugby on Superbrew for the rugby champs. If you were with us last year, you should have already received an invite to join that comp for 2022. If you weren't, um, do give us a search on or search for us on the Superbrew app or website if you're used to that platform. If not, I will also post on our social media platforms tomorrow or today, whatever time, whenever you're listening, <laughs> go to our social pages and you should see the link. So do get involved. It is a good, a good bit of fun. Gets you... A little bit more interested in the games that Australia might not be playing in, if that's your, the way you you lean, or if you are a Kiwi or a South African fan, then you can um, get in involved as well. It's, it's a platform for everyone. Literally, whilst you were doing that um, plug, I just signed into Superbrew on the browser and clicked in, and now I'm in. So it's really that easy. If you've been with us before, it'll just be a little red icon on the invitations tab on the left-hand side. Super easy to do. And for everyone we'll playing on the home, now that Ando is involved in the Rugby Champs <laughs> tipping platform, you will do better than him at least. So That's you entirely possible. That is entirely possible. All right, well... Why don't we jump on into what we're actually going to be talking about tonight. So we're going to start off with some of the spicy news, bit of transfer news and information over the last week or two before we then get into the Commonwealth Games wrap-up and then touch on the locker room. Anything else we need to say or should we jump on into it? I think that's pretty much it. Yeah, well, uh, we'll say this now as we always do every week. We'll try and keep this short and sharp. An hour and 45 minutes later, we're still rambling on though. So we will see. never ramble. It's good rugby chat. We'll see how we go. We'll see how we go. Let's oh, right. let's get into it. Let's go. Time for some spicy news now, and we're going to start things off with some signing news that have has come through in the last few days probably last 10 days mostly with most of these announcements. Now, we will just say before we dive into it, there will be names that we probably have missed and we do plan to do a proper ins and outs and full season preview at the beginning of next year. Mm -hmm. So these are just some of the big announcements that have been uh, revealed in the last few days and we thought they were notable and deserved uh, a bit of a chat around it. So should we start off with the biggest piece of news or should we finish with that, Andrew? What do you think? No, let's go. Let's go from the top. 
All right. So the New South Wales Waratahs have announced today, this morning, it was it is Monday, the first of August, that Tolu Latu, uh, notable bad boy of the last few years in the rugby scene, has signed a one year deal with the New South Wales Waratahs. What is your initial thoughts after hearing this news, Ando? Yeah, look, I'm not a fan. Um, I I'm a person that thinks that the way that you uh, hold yourself on and off the field counts a lot for um, being a professional rugby player. And I think that whilst everybody does have a redemption uh, possible within them, um, I just think that the Warriors didn't really need him. They've got Perecki going well, Vailanu has been playing well in the opportunity he's got, and Horton prior to this signing um, and him, I think he signed overseas, overseas to... Oh, who did he go to? Was it Northampton or Leicester? Leicester. Leicester. Um, he was adequate at the super level. So adequate? I didn't think... That's generous. Well, yeah, I know. Are is. you putting but... him in the same basket as, as Newsom? No. Um, but my point with this was I just wasn't sure if he was the right fit for a team that seemed to be gelling really well together and it seemed to have found a bit of a renewed uh, maybe identity, maybe... I don't know. I don't want to use the word culture, so I'll say culture. Um, and yeah, it was just a bit risky. But hearing that he's only just cracked six figures with his paycheck, and um, he's on a one-year deal, and yeah. there's a there's like a a get-out clause if he does anything wrong um, off the field that he can get um, cut from his contract. It makes me feel a bit more secure within the signing, and hopefully, it'll be a bit of a wake-up call for him to show his on-field talents rather than his off-field issues. And they, I mean, there's two sides of this signing. Rugby Australia or the Wallabies have made it known that they want Tolu Latu. Him at his best, they think at the moment there's not many hookers in world rugby that probably match Tolu Latu's ability around the park and particularly at the breakdown in terms of pilfering. Um, definitely there's no other hookers in Australian rugby currently that are when Tolu Latu is at his best, reaching that level of menace around the park. Uh, at the, we haven't seen that from Latu, though, in the last few years, and he probably wasn't at that... He hasn't been at that level since the 2019 World Cup. Some of the disciplinary issues on the field, let alone off the field, would be enough to not warrant bringing him home, in my view. Just that last incident that he had where he tackled that player in the air, copped that red card and like 11-week ban or something. It's just such a bad look for the game. The mm. the one thing that does make me feel a little better about this signing is, like you mentioned before, there are clauses in his contract that says if he does stuff up, he's gone. But Darren Coleman came out today as well and said that he has worked personally with Latu before twice in the NRC. He coached him um, for New South Wales Country for two years. So he has worked with him before. He knows the type of player that he is. He understands what he can bring to the environment. He also understands how to best get or how to get the best out of a player of Latu, um, Latu sort of makeup and ability. So I do think that Darren Coleman will be using this as a project to see if he can turn him around. And if he can, and we're sitting here 12 months time saying Tolu Latu has been absolutely phenomenal for the Waratahs slingshot it into the the Wallabies and is featuring at the World Cup next year. We might look back at this, hopefully, saying this was a good thing. Hopefully, we're not looking back at this saying, geez, that was a wasted opportunity for... And that Australian rugby has lost the, the talents of a player like Tom Morton mm. going overseas. Yep. If we yep, move on, another signing that the Waratahs have announced is Harrison Goddard, who's a scrum half. He's currently playing... For Gordon Highlanders in the Shoot Shield, he did win the Shoot Shield comp with Gordon two years ago, um, with Darren Coleman as well. He has also been playing over for the LA Guiltinis with under Darren Coleman, and I think he finished up there this year with the controversy around the pre uh, or the kicking out of the comp of the Guiltinis for political reasons and whatnot. So, an interesting another signing that Coleman has got over the line from his Guiltini days. What are your thoughts around bringing in a player like Harrison Goddard? I think it's great, especially when you consider the fact that we've lost both Jack Grant and Henry Robinson, both of our backup scrum halves. So Jack Grant's gone over to Ealing Trailfinders in England and Henry Robinson's gone over to the Western Force. So I'm, I'm pretty happy about it. I think it's a really good signing. He has looked pretty electric in what I've seen of him over in the MLR. And again, the Gordon connection with DC makes sense. 
DC knows him, knows what he can bring. And if he trusts him, then in, in DC we trust. Yeah, and if, if for those who have been watching Shoot Shield would have seen Goddard did play this past weekend for Gordon against East and uh, Gordon ended up getting the victory by one point and in the last sort of five minutes they it was very touch and go there for a while but Harrison Goddard was very instrumental in getting that victory and, and just I think his leadership and his experience really shone through in, at that level. So very much looking forward to seeing what he can bring to this Waratahs moving forward. If we move across to the Western Force, um, it has been announced that Ian Pryor, uh, the, the spiritual leader in some regards of the Western Force, has signed on for another two years at the club. Um, friend of the pod, we've had him on before. Great, great bloke. Great to see really him sticking around yeah. um, Australian rugby. What are your thoughts and uh, are you happy to see him stick around for another few years with the Western Force? Yeah, I think so, because what has been a major issue with the Western Force over the last two or three years is the lack of continuity within the squad. And so you need to have some players who, regardless, genuinely regardless of age, are going to be able to stay there to help uh, continue that or, or pass on some of their experience, some of their professionalism to younger players or new players into the team. And obviously going across to Perth, it's it's really far away for a lot of players that have come from the Eastern Seaboard or from other parts of the world. And so there needs to be some element of that, uh, that, that team environment and dynamic which is unique to the Western Force and who better to continue that than Ian Pryor. Um, Marcel Braki seemed to be one of the key uh, members of that kind of... Um, What's the right word? Leadership that, group or... Yeah, that, like, that leadership but, group or just the entertainment squad, you know? Yeah, the like, people but not even put the, on the, the on-field and, leadership group. They're like... The, the glue. You know that one yeah. person within a group that just um, helps bring everybody together, make them feel comfortable and make them enjoy? Um, that very much was Marcel Brucky from what we, we heard. And I figure that that is a big part of why they're keeping in prior. And he's not a bad player anyway. He's still got a quality boot on him. Um, and he's like definitely serviceable within a super rugby level. I think he'll be the bench scrum half or maybe um, kind of in and out of the squad. But either way, he's a good player to have on the books and to be a part of that squad moving forward. And with the amount of players that we have seen that have left the Western Force this year and have moved abroad or have moved on to other opportunities, I think having a player of his ability and his experience will be great just to bolster the, the wider squad as well. Um, it'd be interesting to see, particularly Henry Robertson coming across from the Waratahs. He is only there on a one-year deal at the moment. And as we've said, it'll be interesting. he will will have to push quite hard to get game time, being that third option, you would imagine, behind yep. prior, even considering he's only had a handful of minutes for the Waratahs this year at super level, and that mm -hmm. was due to force mm -hmm. injury. But um, it, he'll learn so much under a player like Ian Pryor as well. So really interesting hey, to see how he's... Let me read this. Let me read this just to back up what you're saying, right? Um, so let's read the players out for the Western Force. Greg Holmes, Santiago Madrano, Andrew Reddy, Jeremy Thrush, Sidalecki Tamani, Brennan Stander, Fergus Lee Warner, Michael McDonald, Jake McIntyre, Richard Kahui, Carl Godwin, Brad Lacey, Byron Ralston, Jack McGregor. 14 players out. Most of them, their best and most experienced players. Yeah. It's, it's just incredible that the um the amount that they've been gutted one player that we haven't mentioned um actually two got michael wells coming across from the rebels which yep. i think is probably good for the back line yep. uh, back row i should say and the big signing chase tiatia coming over from the chiefs he is electric and that's a great signing he's a really really good replacement for say kind of your laces rolston's and mcgregor's to play in that back three probably full back position and for Fengar as well as coming across yeah yep exactly so there's some big names already making that move across. And we also have to remember that it's just August today when we're recording. It's August. There's still a long time before Super Rugby 2023 starts up. And Simon mm -hmm. Cron hasn't even, well, as far as we know, hasn't even arrived in Perth yet. So he, I think he will be spending the next few months particularly building his squad for next year and really starting from scratch. Those other players are gone. So there's no point looking at, what could have been, they're off, they're away. He's now got to look at the players that he currently has and try and see who he can lure across to the Western Force and build a really competitive squad for this year. And I think there's a lot of, um, a lot more signings to be made for this Western Force team. And I think they, they could shape up to be quite a good side for next year. Agreed. Uh, let's move across to the Queensland Reds and probably the biggest bit of news um, 
in Australian rugby really for the last few weeks is that Luke Jones is returning to Australia and has signed a three-year deal to go back to the Queensland Reds. What are your thoughts around... Um, well, actually, I shouldn't say back because I don't think he's played for the Queensland Reds before. He was playing for Melbourne previously. So Correct. he has he's come back to Australia, but he's now moving to Queensland um, on a three-year deal. Yeah, absolutely love it. Um, he got his start at the Western Force before he moved to the Rebels. And um, yeah, he's been over at Racing 92. Played a fair few games for them last year, 19 games, 14 starts. And he has, in my mind, he was one of the up-and-coming kind of lock sixes. Um, that kind of that hybrid um, five, six that we have seen so commonly. And I really rated him before he left in, at the end of 2020. Um, he had a couple of Wallabies caps. How many, how many Wallabies caps did he get again? Uh, did he get a Wallabies cap or am I just making it up? Yeah, he has. He's got some. Um, but it, I don't think I'm looking many. at the wrong page. I'm there thinking we go. maybe like 12 around yeah, that number. Four. It is ah, okay. four internationals and two rugby championships. So he's had six in total. Um, so look, to be honest, I, I really rate this signing, especially the fact that it's a three-year deal. I mean, the Reds' uh, loss of Angus Scott Young has been pretty significant along with Lucan Salakai Loso. And with Liam Wright continuing to have serious injury after serious injury, he's barely played much rugby in the last couple of years. So having an extra kind of back row slash lock, um, I think is a really shrewd signing from the Reds. So well done and very keen to see him play. Definitely, definitely. And the last player, and I apologize because I'm probably going to get this last name wrong, but Seth Fagaasi, I think is how it's pronounced, um, has signed a two-year deal with the Queensland Reds. He was brought... Last year, he did come up on as injury cover from the Melbourne Rebels, but yep. he has signed on for two years to stay with the club and get a few more Super Rugby caps, which is great to just bolster the experience of a young, relatively young um, Type 5 and particularly a front row. So that's a great signing for them as well. Any other... Anything else? Are you happy to move on to some of the other news and, and get on? Mate, to what we're talking about for us week? trying to be quick. For us I trying know. to be quick. We are taking bloody ages. We are. So why don't we fly through this really quickly, mate? Yeah, so there's only a few little bit of bit of points here but the first one is the wallaby squad has been named for argentina this is a few weeks old but we haven't had a chance to talk about it yet notable inclusions that i want to highlight for you and get your brief thoughts mm -hmm. and maybe you can name which of these players you think will actually get game time on this two game tour of argentina but um off the top rory arnold has been included so he's replaced samu karevi as that international third um third player from overseas we've then had jock campbell ira simoni Lalakai Fichetti, Matt Gibbon, and uh, Fraser McWright, and uh, Tom Robinson. Initially, Scott Seo was named, but then he um, didn't end up traveling with the team due to his shoulder injury, so Tom Robinson was called in. So out of those players that I've just named, which of the ones are you most surprised to see be included in this tour? And which one do you think which ones do you think might actually get some game time? Look, I think Matty Gibbons' call-up was pretty um, surprising, but the really uh, exciting thing about that is it shows that good performances for Australia A actually mean something because um, he was he was one of the better players in the Australia A Pacific Nations Cup competition. And so, yeah, deservedly called up. So well done to him. I think that um, Jock Campbell's call-up is um, really, really exciting for a lot of us on the bandwagon and i include me, myself within that who have really rated him for a long time and wanted to see him get a good run at 15. um i think he might well be considering every other 15 been body injured uh, a really good a really good um player to fill that 15 hole i just do you reckon he keep... do you reckon he takes the opportunity it's like, I, I don't do think I take, so. I think they're do I get this test cap and then break my leg and don't play for the rest of the year? <laughs> <laughs> That's just a good point. Um, so in, the person I think is most likely going to actually play is Rory Arnold. He'll just slot into that second row without um, any questions. He's definitely going to be in that starting 15. Uh, the other potential person would be maybe Ire Simone. I think that he might be someone to fill in just because Karevi's out and they might see Paisami as more of a 13 option. Um, so why not play Ray Simone at 12 where he's played for most of the season for the Brumbies? And if you're going to be playing Noah at 10, even just for part of the match, then it'd be helpful to have his club outside him, um, club player outside of him. Yep. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what does happen there. Um, I would love to see Fraser McWright get some game time on this tour, but I just don't see how that will happen. You can't drop Michael Hooper out of the 23, and you also can't have an out-and-out -out seven on the bench. So unless Michael Hooper picks up an injury, I think Fraser McWright's just included there. As, yeah. uh, I mean, Dave Rennie could actually be quite gutsy, and depending on how they perform in that first test, just start Fraser McWright for the second 
and see how mm. it goes. But at the same time, this is a Michael Checker coached Argentina and we saw how they went against Scotland. Like there were some pretty gutsy they performances they good. put in. Yep. Um, yep. So this isn't going to be a cakewalk for the Wallabies at all. So very interesting to see how that goes. And they will announce that first squad being that that game is this coming Sunday morning. So later in the week. So do keep an eye on our socials and we will reveal that as well. Um, big shout out must go to Tonga who has qualified officially for the Rugby World Cup next year, 2023. Woo! They um, played their last qualifying game last week against Hong Kong and uh, came away 44-22 victors in that. Probably could have come away with a bit more um, of a score line or score margin had Nick Berry decided to, or I, I don't know if Nick Berry was the actual referee on the on the field, but he was instrumental in in overturning a few tries that, that were um, <laughs> ended up not given to Tonga. But great to see them included and. It will mean that the likes of Charles Piatau and Israel Flau will be up against some of the big names in world rugby next year for 2023. So that's always exciting. Yep. Um, and a bit of controversial news that came out this week is that Sansa has decided to push on with the 20-minute red card trial, and they will include it in the rugby champs this year. All four nations in the rugby championship have thrown their support behind the 20-minute red card trial, and they are doing it to try and get some more data to present to World Rugby for its inclusion in World Cup 2023 and uh, just, I guess, the law book moving forward. A lot of people, particularly Northern Hemisphere fans, think that this is just ridiculous, that it it's it's pretty evident at the moment that World Rugby is against the idea of a 20-minute red card. In every other international test outside of the rugby championship, the red card doesn't exist. If you get a red card, you're offered. There's no replacement. Um, interesting to see that Sanzar is pushing on with that. What are your thoughts? Do you think that this is a good thing to have in the competition or are we just sort of wasting our time and not really preparing ourselves the best way we could for World Cup next year? Yeah, look, I think um, I don't think we should be doing the 20-minute red card because of the fact that it's not going to be present at the Rugby World Cup next year. Uh, to take the view that some Northern Hemisphere uh, pundits. pundits have put out there that um, the Southern Hemisphere teams are kind of being willfully ignorant, trying to undermine rugby, um, don't seem to be taking concussion seriously. I think it's just fundamentally wrong. Mm. Um, it's not that, in my view, it's not that players are not being punished by a 20-minute red card. I think they are. It's just that for the fans that are watching within a crowded domestic sporting market, you need to be presenting the high, the most attractive product that you possibly can. Now, I'm just going to go on a quick little story here. I took, um, so so my wife was out with the girls on Saturday and um, yeah, I know she had fun. And all the dads got together and were like, well, if the women are out, what are we going to do with our kids? So three of us took our kids, like 10 of them, to the um, Sydney Swans and Western Sydney Giants game, oh, Greater Western Sydney. Yeah, you know what I'm thinking. So we went out to the AFL. So literally the first time I've ever been to an AFL game. Um, And like, it was pretty good. I really enjoyed it. The crowd was massive. Crowd was loud. Um, But the thing that amazed me was how uh, there was just so many more moments of things happening. And I know that that sounds like a very basic statement, but watch a rugby game again, right? And you have so many gaps. Like you've now got those Mm. uh, water breaks within a 20th and a what 60th minute of the game um we have regular stoppages for tmo interventions you have regular stoppages for multiple scrum resets or a player that um needs to tie their shoelace up the the game is just so much slower that can't remember how to tie shoelaces so he does it four times and then it wastes 45 seconds (laughs) mate i was watching this game just going this afl game just thinking this is a better spectacle as somebody that doesn't like the game of AFL. And so I was thinking, how would I come to rugby union as a fan, as somebody who doesn't like rugby union? I think it would be slow and boring. And so I see the 20 minute red card, not as being an attack upon um, concussion, but instead as a way to try and make the product more exciting. Um, And it's a very complex thing. That's a really, really good article by um, Jeff Parks on The Raw, Mm. which came out on Sunday or Monday. Um, The Rugby Wrap, Sunday, I think. So go take a look at that. It was really, really good. But anyway, that's my quick comment on that. And that's that's one of the things is that why Sanzar is doing this, and I think a lot of people are not realizing or um, grasping this point, is that they're trying to 
show world rugby that there's a reason that you should have 20 minute red cards in the game they're trying to develop data to present a, a thorough case to world rugby uh most people just assume that world rugby is going to say no and that, that it's never going to happen um but you know for our game in the southern hemisphere we need that we need the spectacle to continue we need 15 on 15 as much as possible because we are in such a competitive market that uh, maybe isn't as prevalent in the northern hemisphere so interesting to see what happens there um, I also personally think that the 20 minute red card also takes a little bit of uh, a little bit of pressure off the referees as well with some of the decisions mm. that if they're going to make a call in the first 15 minutes it's not going to potentially ruin the game um, from that point on and it is interesting that even um, there was a lot of talk by Eddie Jones after that uh, the second test against the Wallabies, how where where the game is going and that he thinks the 20-minute red card is probably moving in the right direction. So I think there are people in world rugby that are listening to this. The, the fans yeah. are just going to outright shut it down, but it will be interesting to see where it moves and how it develops mm. over the next few months. Yep. Um, last point of news before we move on to the topic this week. Um, Scott Robinson, who still is yet to be announced as... Uh, All Blacks coach, I think we were all expecting over the last probably <laughs> 10 to 14 days that Ian Foster would be on the way out and Scott Robertson would be appointed. But he did an interview uh, earlier last week and he said that he has a desire and a dream to go to the Rugby World Cup as an international coach with two different nations. And he says one of those will be New Zealand, but it doesn't necessarily, he doesn't have to go to the World Cup with New Zealand first. Uh, I think that's perked up a lot of uh, interest and ears around the rugby world that Scott Robinson might be looking to take a, a team to a World Cup at some stage. Does this give you hope? Does this make you think that Scott Robinson might be the sort of coach that you would like to see take charge of the Wallabies and take them to a World Cup, Ando? I want to see him coach outside the Crusaders system um, before we're talking about him as this like a messianic figure of international rugby coaching. Um so that's just one thing that I'll put out there. Like, is he as good as everybody is saying he is? Yeah, he's done incredibly well at the Crusaders, but as um, it has been spoken about quite regularly, the Crusaders are one of, if not the singular best provincial organization within the rugby world uh, in terms of their pathways and quality and consistency over yeah, many, many yeah. years. Yeah. So can he, can he do it outside of the Crusaders? That's, that's what I want to know before we talk about him being a multiple international coach, multiple team international coach. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah it'll be interesting to see what happens there. I mean, I I would love to see him coach an Australian team at some point. If if it's not the Wallabies, maybe the Melbourne Rebels or the Western Force or some super rugby club. I don't know. I think it'd be great to just see what he can do in the Australian market. He has been talked up and compared as a coach similar to Robbie Deans. And so Robbie Deans came to the Wallabies coach as a as a great All Blacks, uh, a great Crusaders coach like Scott Robertson had seen continued success there. And he still wasn't able to crack the Australian sporting market. And he wasn't able to bring as much success to the Wallabies job as everyone was expecting him to be. And I think even now, a lot of people look back on his time in the Wallabies and said that he probably wasn't given the um, resources that he needed to make and the changes in the control that he needed to really shape that Wallabies team at that time and, and get that success. Um, so yeah, it would be interesting to see how he goes in a different environment that's not the Crusaders and whether that does, um, whether it's it's more of the environment that's making him look really good or it's just his actual talent for yep. coaching and people management. Um, yep. But that's about it. Let's um, cool. let's finish it off there because this was meant to be short and it's been 26 minutes. So <laughs> let's um, let's get into the Commonwealth Games wrap up. All right, let's go. We move now to the Commonwealth Games action in Birmingham over in the UK and the Australian women sevens have come away with the gold medal. If you haven't watched it already, go back and watch the um, whole whole series of matches that both the men and the women have got to. There's some absolute quality tries, incredible defence, great effort from both teams. But whilst the men faltered within a semi-final playoff against South Africa, the women were able to blast past New Zealand in their semi-final and then defeat Fiji in the gold medal match. So 
why don't we start from the beginning and we'll just basically say, uh, Mitch, how are you feeling in the lead up to this? Do you have much hopes for both the men and the women's leading into this competition? Leading into the tournament? I've got to yep. say, as a as a Rugby Sevens fan, um, the build-up for this tournament has been pretty good. Uh, we The men were at, and as we, we had John Menenti on a few weeks ago and we were chatting to him, that the Australian men's team still has the potential to take out number one in the world and be ranked the first team in Australian in international sevens rugby uh that <laughs> tournament is later in the year so take out the world series yeah. yeah take out the world series the women have already wrapped up that world series so there had been some great performances leading into this tournament they beat new zealand in los angeles i think it was or is that where they're heading i can't remember um heading to los angeles yeah they're heading into la wherever it was that they did beat new zealand in the final and they did win that that tournament so there had been some great performances by this team, so I was I was optimistic that they would be able to do well uh, in this tournament. And out of the two results, I was probably a little bit disapp- more disappointed with the men's result. The, you can't be disappointed with the women; they're just fantastic. They're like the <laughs> they're the showpiece so of Australian rugby yet again. Yep, yep, without doubt. And that's that's a big point, isn't it? Um, it was a London competition that you were thinking that's about. It, yeah. The London, um, LA, tour, London, you know, same thing. Yep, yep, pretty incredible they get to go to all these awesome places uh but within that so the thing that i found pretty amazing was just the consistency of the women across all their games so they had a 38 nil victory against south africa 50 nil victory against scotland women they actually lost in the pool stages to the fijiana uh, before beating New Zealand 12-17 and then getting their final victory over Fiji um, in in the obviously in the gold medal match. So their consistency there was amazing. The interestingly though that that 12-19 loss to Fijiana that was a bit of a shock. It was a bit of a surprise considering how the Aussie women are coming into this competition as favourites. That's not to put down any of the other teams, but. Um, they, they were definitely up there within the favourites category. Um, the They just could not get their hands on the ball in that game. I was watching it and Fijiana had the ball for most of the match. And despite some absolutely gutsy defence, how draining is Seven's defence compared to 15? You have like two minutes of defending your line against a team like Fijiana and you are just out on your feet. Yeah, on that watching this whole tournament, you get you get another appreciation of just how tough sevens as a, as a format is. That these players mm. are running massive, massive meters every single game, and it's do or die every single time you go into contact. If you don't make this tackle, that play is through, and they're going to score a try. So you need to make sure that you're good at everything you do. And these players, again, like we spoke uh, with John a few weeks ago, these players need to do everything. They're not yeah. like the Taniela Tupos who can scrummage well and um, just need to run the ball up every now and then. These players need to pass. They need to be able to kick. They need to scrum. They need to line out. They're just well-rounded players who can just, they have that attritional ability to, to see through these really high-intensity games. I know that John Menenti was saying that um, restarts are key within sevens, but what this is probably the first time where I've watched so many games within a short period of time of sevens yeah and it was incredible to see how one single turnover can basically win or lose you a game yeah um you have these singular moments where you're just inaccurate and that's that's the game so what we might do is let's touch on the men's semi-final loss to south africa yep. before we then talk in a bit more detail about the women's uh win in the gold gold medal match against fiji but the point that was really the turning point within the match in my mind was um, Corio Tools attempted charge down, uh, sorry, attempted chip over the top and then Selwyn Davids gets the charge down to take the game out to 12-19 just after the halftime. And it was just amazing to see how one moment basically meant that um, South Africa got the kickoff after that and then they just pinned the yeah. Aussies in their own defensive line and the speed of the South African rush defence the Aussies weren't able to get through it despite obviously having the possession. They just could not make metres out of their own line. Ended up having to give a, just a, basically a punt downfield to release some pressure. One or two um, minutes later, Angelo Davids gets a try off that same like possession. And so basically from two mistakes or two choices that the Aussies made, so Curry O'Toole's, O'Toole's chip over the top and then the um, kind of forced relieving kick, 
South Africa get two tries and they're through into the final. Like it's just amazing those two moments equal winning a semi-final match with the Commonwealth Games. Yeah, and that's the other thing that we saw in this game too is that South Africa their defense or their attack was so good that they were pinned the Australians in their own half even with the ball like right on their own try line for long long periods of time. Um the Australians showed a lot of heart to keep South Africa out for as long as they could, but with the amount of possession that South Africa had and the field position that they had, there was no way they weren't going to score. And it got it got to a point where Australia really just needed to throw the ball around to really chance their arm and, and try and get back into the game. And um, a few decisions went against them, unfortunately, like that Henry Hutchinson yellow card, yellow card. at yep. just before half time was probably a key turning factor in that game as well. Yep. Yeah, because South Africa got to try straight after that to um, yep. level it at 12-12. So uh, we'll do a quick shout out to a couple of the 15s players that were part of the men's squad. So Mark Nwanganitawase scored the opening try in this game. Um, he was he bumped off the um, South African kind of wide player and got over the line. He was very, very powerful. And you can see the difference in physicality that Noanganisawase and Karebi brought yeah. compared to um, your kind of full-time or your your standard uh, sevens players. They just had a different physique and a different way of approaching. Um, Karevi was imperious with his opening touches against Jamaica he did he get a hat trick within that game yeah, definitely got a couple of tries yeah. he got a hat trick um yeah. basically every single time he touched the ball within the opening half he scored or set up a try yeah. and that's not even a joke you can go back and watch it and see that level of it impact. was 62 nil like in 14 yeah. minutes that's a lot of points to score that's that's a lot of points yeah. um so hopefully his his lower leg injury maybe a cork um, supposedly he was on a bench for the second half of the game that he came off with. And hopefully it's not too bad. Uh, there's been some pretty angry messages going around <laughs> saying if the sevens have injured Karevi, then there's hell to pay kind of thing. Um, <laughs> we need to shut down it, the program. <laughs> exactly. From what it looked like, it didn't seem yeah. too bad. And what he said, it didn't seem too bad. So hopefully he'll be back in time um, after the Argentina matches. Yeah, well, he's got a few weeks now to to really get back and get fit for uh, South Africa. Uh, yep. with the Wallaby. So uh, what, 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 from what was reported after the game, it did seem like more of a, a big contact, like a big hit, and that he was a little bit sore. But by the end of the game, he was fine and walking on it again. So I yeah. don't think there's too much to worry about. And I wonder if Dave Rennie just got on the phone quickly and said to John, <laughs> uh, no more. It doesn't no matter more. how far he's you done. go, he's done. Yep. You, you can't <laughs> afford to injure our best player. I would love to know if that happened. Um, so moving well, on maybe, now to... Maybe he didn't even have to. John was too afraid to even to name him <laughs> from that point. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Um, from what he was saying on the pod a few weeks back, he's like he knows where the um, the lines of authority are in yeah. terms of Wallaby's players, which is, which is fair enough. the priorities. Yeah, yeah. And, that, and that's completely fair enough. Um, so let's move now to the women because the gold medalists and we kind of saved the best for last because obviously they have been incredible across this entire competition uh i read out the scores before they were dominant except for that one slip up against fijiana within the pool stages um so i mean how do you want to do this do we want to track through do you, are there a couple of players or a couple of moments within the final that you wanted to kind of point out as having a real significant impact upon the outcome yeah, I think there was a few players particularly that we need to definitely shout out and just say that their involvement in this whole tournament has really set up this team for success. And we can't go much further without mentioning Charlotte Kaslik. Um She's been a player... It's, you in- almost don't want to say... Sorry, I'm going to cut in. You almost don't want to talk about her because everybody talks about her, but she's that good you have to, right? Well, that's the thing. Like, she's been in the Australian Sevens team for... Like, she was part of that team that won gold in yep. uh, Rio. So, she was like yep. that first generation of Seven's success. And she's uh, got her way through up until now. And she doesn't look like she's slowing down. There's been a few nope. ups and downs in her performances in the time since then. Uh, but really, she's she had an absolutely phenomenal com games. And she was in fine form. And she was really so instrumental in leading this Australians, mm. Australian team around and having a hand in nearly every single point that Australia scored that if it weren't if it wasn't if she wasn't there I I can confidently say I don't think we go as well I don't think so either she's just that glue player her ability on those quick turnover taps to um just make the tap and then run on an angled line at the defense committing defenders to her 
before the accuracy of her wide passing out in front of the players that she's passing it to is just it's just incredible how how fluid and graceful she is within those moments um but it's still with the pace and physicality to be able to make half breaks go to shoulders through get an offload on to play the ball on the ground and get, get some jackal turnovers like she just is the complete package uh but you can't go much further without mentioning madison levi so she got 10 tries within the tournament. You had Faith Nathan, um, who had eight doubles on the World Series Tour. Thanks, Greg Clark, for giving me that stat. Um, <laughs> and got a double as well within the final. She opened the scoring with the first two tries to make it to get out to a 10-nil lead before Maddie Ashby went over for a 17-nil lead. Like there was just so many good players within this team. Um, but like you've you've got the captain, um Shani Williams. Yeah, Shani Williams, who's like playing half the time off the bench. Um, so she started within the final. She started the final, but played uh, a large part of the time just off the bench because I think she's one of the slightly older players in the squad. So they were just managing the minutes, um, managing her minutes really well. Yeah. But the, the whole squad competed. And it was great to see some of the younger players like uh, Tia Hines, um, Tia Hines, Tegan Levi, just get out there and get some time right near the end of the game, experiencing a gold medal match at the Commonwealth Games. It's so exciting. And I think what's really great and exciting as well for this team is that out of the whole squad, I think the majority of them are either age 22 or below. Like they're yeah. a very, yep. very young squad. And they've got so, they will have learned so much from this experience. And um, beating New Zealand, beating Fiji, those are the the big nations in sevens rugby. Take away the common games. Look at the Olympics. Yep. Look at the World Series. Look at World Cups. Like this, this team has more growth in them. They're going to get older. They're going to get more experienced. They're going to get better. And that's a really yep. great base to start from for this team um, and to see where they go in the next few years. Like you got Faith Nathan, Maddie Ashby, Maddie Levi, Sarah Paki, and Alicia Lefai Fakalsalea, who are all under the age of 22 or at 22 or under. Um, Madison Levi is 20. So she's just incredible. She's come out of AFLW with the Gold Coast Suns and is just such a quality player. Every time she gets the ball out wide, um, there were some comments. Uh, I think, who, who was it? It was Atko. Um, should Michael <laughs> Atkinson. He was saying, is, is she the 15 that we've been craving with in the Wallabies? And you know what? She's got the pace and power. I think she <laughs> she would just be bloody brilliant. Um, she really so would. There's, there is one point that I just want to point out. Um, what, one moment within the game that I wanted to point out just to show the... Um, accuracy and precision of this team in attack so my favorite try of this final was maddie ashby's to take it out to 17 nil um so within this what basically happens is they cut all the way over to the right hand side of the wing um they then using quick wide passes out in front of the player move it all the way back over to the left and then shani williams the second last player out takes the ball and kind of like angle runs it out towards the wing, um, commits a couple of the Fijiana defenders to her. Faith Nathan cuts back in off the wing, kind of running an underline like under um, Williams, who pops it out to her. But then Maddie Ashby is running st a straight line off the shoulder of Faith Nathan as she comes in. So it's targeting like that, that seam between the third and fourth cover defender from the wing. And it was just so effectively done at multiple points throughout the game. Um, Ashby just went through with basically like nobody touching her. And it, it was a pre-planned move, incredibly well done and just exploiting both the speed and the accuracy of the wide passing game that they were able to use to just move this Fijiana team around. So it was brilliant to watch. Really, really recommend that people go back and see that game and just cheer the women on because they deserve our support. They really do. They really do. That was a really exciting tournament from them. And I think Tim um, Tim Walsh has to be commended for the way that he's improved this team so well from, uh, when was the Olympics? 22, last year, wasn't it? It was 2020 that got pushed forward to 2021, mm, mm. Um, the Tokyo Olympics. And disappointing overall tournament for both men and women in that in that tournament. But since Tim's taken control of the women's team, they've just gone up and up and their their basic skills in rugby and in sevens has just improved and everyone in that squad is on point with their kicks, their passes and their tackling. So 
there's no one that comes onto the field that you like. You just have this as a fan um, confidence that they're all going to do their job and that they're going to do it well. And that's what we saw in this final. That they, yep. in some ways, it was probably good that they got that shock from the Fijiana team in the in the end of the pool stages because it sort of showed them what they needed to do. And as you said previously, Ando. The reason that they lost that game was that they made some simple mistakes and they allowed Fiji to get a lot of possession and hold the ball. And what we saw in the final is they held the ball. They didn't let it they didn't drop it too many times and they upped their physicality and they upped the speed of play. And by mm. doing that, they basically upped the tempo and forced Fiji out of the game. They just had so much possession themselves, scored so many points that Fiji just weren't able to catch up. And it was really weird because it's not like the um, Aussie women were perfect. They weren't like Shani William kicked it out or didn't make 10 twice. The very first kick of the game and then um, also early on within the second half. But the weird thing was like in that first instance, um, uh, Fijiana take the midfield tap and then they just knock it on cold with absolutely no pressure on them to just drop the ball and get the turnover. And then the women's score from the subsequent play. Um, and so it just, I found it really odd how much Fijiana were off their game, knowing how good a team they actually are. So I think they're going to be quite disappointed with the performance, even though they'll obviously be proud of getting to that point. Oh, but I mean, um, that's I guess that's the thing of sevens as a sport is that it's it's all about the pressure that the other team put you under, and yeah, you can yep. you can be at your best, but if the opposition are putting in big hits and getting over the ball and getting their hands in the breakdown and disrupting that flow. Um, sevens doesn't give you the ability to to just write it out. One mistake can lead to seven points. Two yep. mistakes, and the game's over. And I think that's yep. what we saw in this heart, in this game, in the final particularly. That Australia started strong and they started fast. And Fiji did, or Fijiana did come back um, in the end of the game. They they ran it, I think, two minutes over extra time, getting penalty after penalty and just quick taps and kept kept going before they scored. But by that point, Australia had already stretched the scoreline too far ahead that they couldn't catch up. Mm. Um, And so I I wouldn't say that Fiji played a bad final at all. I just think the Australians dominated that. that, um, And in some ways, it seemed like the Australians wanted it a little bit more by upping that physicality and that tempo. Well, mate, I think we've done that game justice. I Like we said, please go back and watch it. It is well-deserving of a watch and send some love out to both the Australian men and women's team for all that they've done over the Olympic Games. Congratulations, team. It's been great supporting you from afar and I hope that you enjoy the time off and the subsequent trip back home. Well, the prep before the next World Series for the men particularly. Um, yeah, we do exactly. have some questions that have come in around the sevens. So let's yep. just dive into those now while we're here. Yeah, let's go. So um, it's the locker room. We're diving in early. We're just getting into it. So the first one comes to us from Hugh96, and he asked, how does RA best leverage this gold medal success? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, yeah. Okay. I think for this one, it is plastering it everywhere and using it as an opportunity to be getting more funding into the sevens game. Um, I'm really interested to see where the development pathways between rugby sevens and the 15 person uh, game kind of develop. We obviously are seeing that a bit more within the men's game, like John Menenti mentioned when he was with us. Um, I wonder if that could be something that could develop within the women's game. The problem is that the Aussie women's are full-time professional, whereas that's not the case with the Super Rugby teams. Um, so it could be interesting if they get, uh, not farmed out, that's the wrong word, but if they um, go back into a super environment or provide some um, guidance or models there, who knows? Um, I think that they just need to be basically put on everybody billboard you possibly can and uh, used as much as possible to leverage more money for the women's game. And I think one of the things that RA needs to do with this success is take the money out of it and just realize cold hard facts. We probably we can't compete. Super W can't compete currently with AFLW and the NRLW. Like the two women's comps that the AFL and the NRL are running, they've just included more teams year on year. They're they're all, if if not all, most professional and getting paid to play. Um, we're not at a point where we can do that yet. And that's where we need to get to. It's not acceptable at the moment that the Super W players aren't getting paid to, to contribute, at least some form. Uh, but they need to 
take this success and leverage that and say that if you come into the Australian Sevens program, this is what you can do. This is what you can achieve. You can yep. you can play all over the world. You can you're not you. I mean, that's the game of union in and of itself, isn't it? You're not going between Brookvale and uh, Parramatta and Penrith. You're going to London and um, Hong Kong and all of these great destinations. But the other thing yep. too is we, like we need to. My point is we need to realize that at the moment we don't have the cash to compete. And we need to make the product and the environment the draw to bring these players across initially. The second mm. thing is we need to develop systems. We need to develop pathways. We had a few years ago the Aeon 7s, which was a, um, a I think it was a university, um, yeah, university competition, competition, 7s competition, where the, the teams were actually representing different universities around Australia. Um, the sevens girls actually, Australian 7s girls actually got... Um, spread across that and they were playing in those competitions and they had it was a pathway yep. but for due to COVID and due to funding issues that got cut and hasn't been happening for the last few years we no, need it's to coming bring... back it's coming back it's in 2022 so it's happening in October yeah um, so it's coming so. back but it, it hasn't happened over the last two years and understandable with COVID and travel restrictions and all that sort of stuff but we need to grow that we need to have a clear system and pathway in place that a, a girl playing and watching the, the women's play this weekend can then go and say, okay, I can go down to my local club and start playing sevens with mm -hmm. them. And yeah. I can yep. see a clear pathway from going from that team to my local rep team, to the Aeon sevens, to then um, play for the Waratahs sevens team, to then play for the Australian sevens team. And that's what we need to do. Yeah, Keynes, that pathway is so important. Yeah, you're right. The 2020 competition was cut because of COVID, but they actually were able to play uh, last year in 21, which is fantastic. Um, so the next one, like I mentioned, will be coming up. In but I think October. from memory, got there was something around like shrinking it, or it it wasn't the same, and it wasn't as what they initially thought. It didn't end up being this tournament that travelled around. I think it was similar to um, Super W during the COVID yeah, years, where it maybe got it like did. ran maybe as a tournament in one, yeah, okay, in one thing. But yeah, that's um, yeah, that's something that we can do. And just having that interaction as well between the top talent, like having the Australian women's team. There's what, 15, 16, 17 girls in that program spreading that talent out across Australia and getting them to play with the up and coming next generation is going to be so such a quicker way of spreading that talent, but also that um, information share as well. Yep. Great. Um, he, Hugh, he's sent us a few questions. So the next question, he would be We'll fly through these. Yeah, interested to know, apart from Charlotte Kaslick, who do we rate as a key player in the women's squad? He'll let us know if we get the answer correct. <laughs> um, I'll name one just so you can name one as well. Um, I think it, it's it got to be Faith Nathan's got to be in a conversation just because of the consistency of her scoring. Um, she's almost inevitably making the right decision of when to come back in, when to try and take the players on the outside, great support lines. Um, she may not be that kind of central playmaker like Kaswick or um, Shani Williams, but she is just so important in the attacking shape that the women take. So, yeah, really, really impressed by her. Yeah, my um, my player is Madison Ashby. I think when I went yeah, back cool. and rewatched some of the highlights from this tournament, she had a hand like Kaslick. If it wasn't Kaslik setting up these uh, the tries and the the breaks, it was Ashby, and she yep. played big minute, minutes in this tournament too, like Kaslik. And I think she is is as an integral a player for this whole team as is Kaslik. Um, why can't either team consistently kick off restarts well? It's probably a that's the end of the question, but that's a theme of this tournament or these last few years really in sevens. Some teams seem to be able to do it really well. But for whatever reason, we're kicking it too long. We're kicking it out on the full or it's not making 10. What do you reckon the go is there? Yeah, look, I don't know enough to honestly give an accurate answer for that. Um, maybe the teams are focusing on other areas of the game, but you would think not with the emphasis that's put on restarts within sevens. Obviously, the coaches know how important that is. Um, so maybe for the men, it's coming down to the fact that most of them aren't part of the full-time professional program. So it could just be a lack of training opportunity for them over a more extended period of time, potentially. Uh, for the women, I don't know. I think Shani Williams would be kicking herself with a two um, and kind of out in the full and not making 10 that she did within a final. Yeah. Um, I think that's just a bad day in the office. I think maybe it just comes back to that whole sort of rugby, Australian rugby mantra of we don't kick. 
but growing all the way up through the pathways as juniors that you're always taught that we don't kick and unless you're the fly half, you, you won't be doing yeah. much kicking. And when you get into the sevens environment, everyone needs to kick. Everyone, as we said, everyone needs to do everything. And so yeah. when you've got that varied position and approach, they're not able to execute that skill set as well. That might be, that's my thought. Um, last question, how did we think Mark Nwanganiduasi went overall? Uh, I thought he was good when he had one-on-one -on -one opportunities kind of running outside in the wing. Um, the problem had when he didn't came when he didn't have space. I think he often struggled to know when to go to ground or how to um, make sure he could stay alive so he didn't get turned over or give the ball away in a kind of pressure situation. So yeah, I thought I thought he was pretty good. Karevi was obviously more impactful in the opportunities that he had, but I mean Karevi's uh, not human. He's just incredible. Um, so it's a bit of an unfair comparison. Well, I guess the only thing I would say in Marky's defense is that he's had minimal time in the seven setup. Like he played last year, I think, um, in a pre-Olympic tournament, he played in the Oceania sevens as like a barbarian side that uh, him and Josh Turner got pulled in from the Waratahs to, to play in that tournament. And outside of that, he's played minimal minutes in the seven setup and he's been working all year this year on his 15 side game. So I think just the fact that he was able to contribute as well as he did goes down to his natural talent. But you go, you can see that when he's isolated like that, that he, he sort of goes for his 15s instincts more than his 7s instincts and sometimes tries to pin his ear back and get around a, a player or um, hit that contact and wait for, defend, for his support to come and, and hold him up when he probably needs to go to ground and get that ball available a bit quicker in this yep. game. And I think those are things that will come. Remember Samu Karevi as well was... Um, in the Olympic team last year uh, at mm. Tokyo as well. So he's had more experience in that environment and he is just a much more well-rounded player and more experienced overall. Yep. Fair. Um, I think that's really it in terms of questions. Um, Giles Gibbons says, how good is Madison Levi? Does she slot straight into the Wallaby six jersey ahead of Wilson and Leota? <laughs> uh, Mike Give her a crack. Com commons, <laughs> uh, or is she the 15 we've been craving? Yeah, look, I think definitely give her a crack. Um, Hugh Tyndall also asks, is it okay to clone Kazlik and Levi? Should Sevens get more focus in rugby domestically or is it too specialist a game? Uh, I think, uh, I don't think it's ethically okay to clone Kazlik and Levi, but there should be a kind of black government secret program to enable it to happen. Uh, it's, it's definitely required. Catch and should mate. Sevens get more of a focus in rugby domestically or is it too specialist a game? I think it's too specialist a game. Um, there are some players who probably could bring some of their skills across. Um, and there are some fifth, there are some players that can go both ways, but the adjustment period takes a lot of time. Like you see that with Tim Anstey, he has some moments where you see some of his kind of sevens, um, background or pedigree coming through. But even then he's taken a couple of seasons to really find his feet within a 15 man game. Um, and even Summer Karevi, he's, he's an impact player within sevens. Um, he's not able to kind of last the full distance and play the full game like a kind of equivalent would be Shard Kazlik or Henry Hutchinson, someone like that. Um, yep. So they, they can fill roles, but um, yeah, they're more impact or role players rather than being uh, full-time. Um, yeah, you know what I'm saying. They're, yeah, they're... I mean, the only thing I would say that I, I would like to see, um, and this is a concept that was sort of got off the ground a few years ago with that Brisbane 10s, which was a pre-season tournament uh, for the Super Rugby sides, it was a 10s format as opposed to the 7s and that probably lent itself more to the 15-man game where you could have scrums and bigger line-outs and get the props involved, whereas mm. in 7s, you don't really see Tupo doing too much. But it would yep. be cool to see a, a, set, a if we can't do that 10s format, a pre-season 7s tournament between um, the Australian teams or even the whole Super Rugby competition, Super Rugby Pacific, um, to just see how those... The, yep. the the wider squad goes, or you could even do uh, a mid-season or like an in-season competition that runs at halftime. So uh, when the Waratahs are playing the Queensland Reds, for example, the wider training squad is then playing in the sevens game at halftime, something like that. That boosts the profile of the players. It boosts the profile of the game of sevens. But yeah, I tend to agree with what you're saying, Endo. It is the, the game of sevens and the games of 15s are quite far removed at the moment. And there are a few players that can shift across predominantly backs in the back three. Uh, but overall, you probably don't get as much um, input from players in the type five in a, in the sevens format.
Well, mate, I think we have uh, run the distance here. It has been great fun talking sevens rugby and being able to cheer on such a good news story, which was the women getting gold. Uh, how good. How good. We now have the Wallabies coming up against Argentina this weekend. It's Sunday at 5-ish a.m. 5-ish a.m. Yep. Get up for it. Get loud. Um, wake the kids. Wake the missus. Just scream the house down because the louder you scream, the more they will hear you over in Argentina. And the more they'll win. That's that's definitely how it works. Um <laughs> So, team, it's been absolutely fun. Thank you so much for getting to this point, and we love your work. Have a wonderful week, and we'll be back in as the Wallabies get their victory over in Argentina. Let's go. Let's go. Bye. Bye.